I'm privileged to introduce to you our first speaker, Father Hudgens. Originally from Billings, Montana, Father Hudgens attended Dartmouth College, receiving his BA in 1992. He then attended St. Charles Borromeo Seminary, earning his Master of Divinity in 1997 and an MA in 1998. Since his ordination in 1998, Father Hudgens has served as parochial vicar at Queen of Apostles, All Saints, and St. Luke's, and was a chaplain at Bishop O'Connell High School for four years. He is currently the pastor at St. Jude's here in Fredericksburg. For 10 years, he received spiritual direction from Father Thomas Dubay, the noted spiritual author and EWTN host. He has also done missionary work in Haiti, the Dominican Republic, Rwanda, Zambia, Zimbabwe, as well as with the missionaries of charity in Tijuana, Mexico. We are honored to have Father Hudgens this morning to help us nurture and develop and strengthen our prayer life. Father, would you please come up and open up with a prayer? Start with a little prayer, shall we? Okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Great. I am looking for a clock. There's a clock. Okay, perfect. I always like to keep on top of these things. Well, wonderful. It's a great turnout. And I see some familiar St. Jude faces out there. Got, got a few familiar St. Jude faces out there. Wonderful to have everybody here. We have an enormous subject. We're talking about prayer. Okay. And it's impossible to say everything. So what I want to try to do is to try to focus on those things that I found people have most frequently asked about. Points of clarification that people have, you know, over the years they've they, they found most helpful. Um, but before I say anything else, I'd like to recommend you a couple of books. Okay? And it was mentioned in the, my gracious introduction that I, I, I used to get spiritual direction from Father Thomas Dubay. And I'm a protege of his. I'm a disciple of his. So I'm recommending his books. Here's the best book on prayer I've ever read. Okay. It's by Dubay, D-U-B-A-Y. And it's called Fire Within. It is essentially a, a compilation of the spirituality of St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. Now, I don't want to get too technical or too detailed here, but St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila have contributed more to our understanding of prayer in the spiritual life than any other saint has ever committed to writing. Not necessarily more than any other saint, but more than any other saint has ever committed to writing. Quite honestly, John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila provide for us a spiritual map. What's it like to pray? What's it like to grow in prayer? What's it like to grow deeper in prayer? What's it like to grow spiritually? Their contribution to the church and to our, our spiritual heritage is spelling out what that's like. Because when you look at the different lives of the saints, people down through the ages who followed Christ for so many years, you find very similar experiences. And you know those who have walked this path before us have helped us to know better. So let me recommend this book to you, Fire Within. Okay, Highly recommend it. However... A number of people have read Fire Within and they, they, they found it to be too dense. And Father Dubay wrote a prequel to Fire Within, which is called Prayer Primer. Just 
very, very simply, Prayer Primer by Father Dubay. It's a, it, was an, it was designed to be an introduction to this book such that after you're finished reading Prayer Primer, you can, re, you can read Fire Within. So that's just, uh, that's just by way of introduction. Okay. Now, um, there's a number of things I can say about prayer, but let me start you off with a couple of stories, shall we? Okay. Here's my first story for you. It's the story of one of our diocesan priests who everybody from the Chancery Office knows very well. He's the director of uh, Catechetics and Sacred Liturgy, Father Paul de Lauderante. Anybody know Father Paul de Lauderante? Lots of you guys know Father Paul de Lauderante. Well, back when he was in the seminary, he tells me an amusing story. He says that uh, a very overly pious, overly zealous woman came up to him and said, Oh, Father, Father, give me a blessing, Father. And he says, well, now I can't give you a blessing. I'm only a seminarian. It's right? <laughs> my best Father de Lauderante impression. <laughs> and the woman says, oh, don't let that stop you, Father. Just give me a blessing. <laughs> he goes, well, okay. But it's going to be in Latin. <laughs> and the woman kneels down all piously. And Father de Lauderante, back then, seminarian de Lauderante, he says, nemo dot quod non habet. Which means... One cannot give what one does not have. <laughs> and the woman, she's thrilled. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you. She runs away. She's thrilled. Okay? That's your first story. Here's your second story. It's a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. As they continued their journey, they entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary, who sat beside the Lord at his feet, listening to him speak. Martha, burdened with much serving, came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me by myself to do the serving? Tell her to help me. The Lord said to her in reply, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. Only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Back when I was in the seminary, the very first thing that, that they ever said to me when I got there was, gentlemen, let me tell you rule number one. Rule number one is that the first thing is always the first thing. The first thing is to make the first thing the first thing. And the first thing is that you are a soul in relationship to God Almighty above all else. You are first and foremost a human being before you are a human doing. And your actions proceed from your being. And your being is made to be in union with your Heavenly Father. And that is why prayer is so important. Question for you this morning. Are you spiritually healthy? You know, there's a lot of talk about health and fitness and everybody's talking about gluten-free this and how many calories are in your bagel and all the, not, there are zero calories in all of this morning's bagels, by the way. Okay, zero. But everybody, you know the health and fitness. Question for you, what about your spiritual fitness? Can I give you a quick spiritual fitness test? When you're spiritually fit, nothing gets under your skin. Doesn't mean you don't suffer. Doesn't mean you don't have bad days. And even the saints can get down at times, but nothing causes you worry or anxiety. The traffic doesn't bother you. The stock market can drop a thousand points. Your favorite team can lose. And mine often does. Right? <laughs> your flight can be cancelled. All my plans can fall apart. But you want to know what? Your soul's at peace. That's spiritual fitness. When you're not spiritually fit, the only way you're ever happy is when everything's going your way. Life is a collection of days and some days go better than others. But listen, think about this. What about your best days? What are your best days like? If they were days in which everything was going your way, then you're a prisoner. A prisoner of self-seeking, a prisoner of circumstances, and God wants to set you free. But you've got to cooperate. You've got to cooperate. So we cooperate, one of the ways we begin to cooperate is with prayer, and that's what I really want to talk about this morning. I ask most Catholics, do you pray? And they say, sure, I pray. But how many of them are set free? How many of them are free from circumstances, worry, and anxiety? 
those who know how to pray and those who do it and those who follow up on it with the lives that they lead afterwards. Okay, so what we want to do, we want to understand what prayer is. Okay, and most questions about prayer come from a lack of understanding. So let me give you a very simple definition of prayer. In fact, this, this really does cover it all. Prayer is the raising of your mind and heart to God. That's what prayer is. You're made in God's image. You know what that means? Doesn't mean God has ten fingers and ten toes. Although, of course, in Jesus Christ he does. But it means that you have an intellect and a will. You have a mind and a heart. Your mind was made for the truth. Which is why you hate being deceived. Your heart was made for love and will not rest until it finds it. That's God's image in you. And when your heart and your mind are raised to God, that's prayer. And that could be any time. You could be walking down the street. You could see the headlines. You could be shocked. You could say, God, come and help us. And you just raise your mind and heart to God, and that's prayer. You could be frustrated with yourself. You could be frustrated with somebody else. But when your mind and your heart turn to God, that's prayer. What we want to do is we want to make it a regular part of our lives. We want to make it the most important relationship we have. Because, in fact, it is. It is the most important relationship we have. So, what, two questions that come up when people talk about prayer. First of all, they say, my prayer doesn't work. And the other question they'll say is, prayer, what do I do? Did you ever see that movie Bruce Almighty from a bunch of years back? You don't have to admit to it because you'd be confessing your age, right? But he, this, he, he, tries, to, he tries to go and pray, pray and he kind of gets lost. He doesn't know what to say. And you know, he ends up saying the path the Pledge of Allegiance. It's like, our Father who art in heaven uh, with liberty and justice for all. People don't know what to do. Let's take a look at those two questions, okay? First of all, um, let's, stop and question, let's, stop, let's stop and take a look at this reality. Uh, you, as a human being, have a problem that no other creature on this earth has, and that is, quite simply, that you, you are made to become more than what you are right now. God wants to lift you. Every, you know, the, the story of Cinderella is something of an, of an analogy to the human condition in which God wants to lift us up to a whole new level of being, and you'll never be content until you are. Animals don't have this problem. Uh, you, you know, you, 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 won't, you won't find squirrels or, or rabbits with an inferiority complex um, or with daddy issues or, or any of the other things. And there, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean to belittle anybody who, who's going through who difficulties of any sort, but we go through spiritual and psychological angst because we're trying to become more than we are and we're in a world filled with all kinds of other creatures that are perfectly content just to be exactly who they are. Okay, so prayer is designed to make you more than you are, right? And I heard a statement back in the seminary I've never forgotten. It says, pray well and you will pray better. Pray better and you will pray more. But pray little and you will pray less. Pray poorly and you will not pray at all. Now what does it mean to pray well? And what does it mean to pray poorly? Let's talk about that for just a moment. When you enter into a prayer, you enter into a dialogue, not a monologue. It's a two-way street. Both sides listening, both sides speaking. And the purpose of it is that you are transformed. God's already perfect. He doesn't need to be changed. Okay? The purpose of prayer is that you are transformed. So here's what it means to pray well. You pray well when you go to God and you ask God to change you. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. You pray badly when you do the opposite. Listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about prayers of petition that, which are perfectly fine and good. But you know what really happens in prayers of petition above all else? In prayers of petition, what happens is our souls come into contact with the Lord and are expanded and made capable of receiving things God wanted to give us all along. We don't rest favors from the reluctant clutch of God. It's quite, quite the opposite. So honestly, when we do go and pray, we want to be transformed. When the apostles turned to the Lord and asked how to pray, what did Jesus do? Do you remember what Jesus did? 
Did he give them a technique? He gave them a prayer, didn't he? When the apostle said, Lord, teach us how to pray, he gave them a prayer. So why don't we do the same thing? Let's take a look at this prayer. Let's take a look at the Our Father as a dialogue in which both sides speak and both sides listen, in which he transforms us, not the other way around. Okay? You ever prayed in Our Father? Let's stop and pray in Our Father for just a moment because if you really pray in Our Father, it can change your whole life. First thing I like to say when we talk about the Our Father is that we have, start with the word Our. We do not pray, My Father who art in heaven, do we? Jesus could have said that, but he didn't teach us to do that. You take that one word, Our, and then look around this room. If we're all praying to God, Our Father, what does that make us? It makes us brothers and sisters with a relationship that runs deeper than blood. This is a relationship that will last for all of eternity. Back in the days when they did not charge for luggage on airlines, I used to check my bags. And you ever had the frustration of being at the baggage carousel? Where's my bag? And who are all these other people who are getting their bags before? Anyway, one day, I just had this Our Father experience. I looked around and I just thought, Our Father, Our Father, Our Father, Our Father. And it completely transformed me. Sometimes we're in such a rush to get to the end of the prayer, we forget the words that they're saying. Stop and pray that word, Our. And you'll be unable to carry on lasting hate for anybody else in this world. Because your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Father. Let's talk about the word Father. Do we pray for our spirit? Our force? No, we say Father. In fact, St. Paul, talking to the Romans, takes it a step further. He, He says, when you pray, you've got the spirit of adoption, which says Abba. You know what Abba is? It's baby talk, right? Talk about the way a little five-year-old talks to us. Oh, daddy, 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 Abba, Abba. And by the way, when St. Paul talks about the spirit of adoption, you know what's interesting about that? This is a digression, really, but um, in the ancient Roman world, it was actually a very cruel society. Parents could give birth to a child, and they could abandon that child perfectly legally. They called it exposure. They'd leave the child in the woods, and they'd walk away for any reason whatsoever. Long story, I don't want to get into that. But if a child was adopted, they had inheritance rights. They could never be abandoned. They were part of the family and bound to that family forever. That's part of the reason why St. Paul says to the Romans, you've got a spirit of adoption that cries out, Daddy, Daddy, you'll never be abandoned no matter what. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Stop and think about that when you say the word Father. And we've only gotten through two words. Right? Our Father, who art in heaven. Where's your daddy? Daddy's in heaven. Right? And if you say that our Father who is art in heaven and daddy's in heaven, how can you live your life as though this earth is all there is? I gave a homily yesterday. Some of y'all might have heard it. But just for fun, I was looking at the most expensive house for sale in America. You know what it is? It's a house in California. It goes for $250 million. It boasts 21 bathrooms and beds, a 30-car garage, um, 38,000 square feet of space, three kitchens, and, of course, your own private helipad. Because how could you have home without a helipad, right? But you don't have to be a billionaire with an extravagant lifestyle to make this earth your home. All you have to do is lose sight of the God who's part of your life every day and forget that this earth makes a lousy home but a great gymnasium. And that you set your heart on the Lord, you can be set free from so many things. Our Father who art in heaven, and that's where you're going too, please God. Okay? Hallowed be thy name. You know, in Hebrew, a name had a meaning. Names don't necessarily have meanings in our culture anymore. I mean, we name somebody because it was daddy's name or granddaddy's name or maybe we just like the sound of it. Back in Hebrew, a name had a meaning, right? Like, like, like Jesus, for example. Yeshua, Yahweh saves because God will save his people from their sins. So when we say hallowed be thy name, take that from like a Hebrew point of view and we're not praying to make God's name holy. God's name's already holy. You're the king's kid, When you say, hallowed be thy name, you're saying, Lord, may people look at my life and praise your name. Now that's a prayer. That's a prayer. Thy kingdom come. 
You know, I heard it said, do what you can with what you have in the place that you are. We don't pray thy kingdom come and then just going to sit back passively and wait for God to do everything. You know, it's been, the church has been likened to, to a ship, but it's not a sailboat. It's not a powerboat. It's more like a rowboat. <laughs> if you want thy kingdom to, to come, don't wake up every morning, look around and complain about how bad the world is. Do what you can right where you are to make it a better place. That's how thy kingdom comes. Right? Thy will be done. Now there's a prayer. Do you mean that? Do you really believe that even in God's permissive will, that he knows infinitely better than you know and loves infinitely greater than you love, and that you really want his will because it's way better than your own, even when it doesn't seem like it. One of my favorite priests, he's up for canonization. He's a, a priest, uh, he was a Franciscan priest. He died in the 50s in, in the Archdiocese of Detroit. His name was Father Solanus Casey. You ever heard of him? My favorite line from Solanus Casey. Just thank God ahead of time. Just thank God ahead of time. Once you find out what he's up to, then you can praise and thank him for all eternity. But you know, let me give you a little insider trading tip. Start thanking him now, right? Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. How do you think it's done in heaven? Reluctantly? Oh, gee, it's not more of God's will again. No. Joyfully, right? Give us this day our daily bread. When the Hebrews made their way through the desert, they got manna every day. And that's how they lived. You know what's interesting about the manna in the desert? If it tried to collect manna to save it up for a week so you wouldn't have to collect manna for a week, take a week off, you know what happened to the manna? It would rot. You had to rely on God to provide for you every single day. It was interesting. Is the only time that it wouldn't rot is when you collected it up for the Sabbath day. He wanted you to take the Sabbath off. But you had to rely on God to provide for you every single day. Like you rely on Him for every, your every heartbeat. Like you rely on Him for your every breath. And good people come into your lives and go out of your lives and new people come in. And how about this one? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I could talk for half an hour about forgiveness, but the, 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 the trick to that line is that you're saying, Lord... I know I've committed a lot of sins in my life, okay? And I'm asking you for forgiveness, but on one condition. I want you to forgive me just as much as I forgive other people, and no more. Well, now how does that transform the way you feel about the last person who upset you? I'm convinced some people get put into your life just to give you practice in forgiving others, honestly. <laughs> you know, I, I, I gave a homily on this last... Oh, sometimes I repeat myself. Pardon me if I do, but... And there was a, a priest I lived with once and he had the most irritating habit when he was finished with a carton of milk. He put the empty carton back in the fridge. <laughs> and when he was finished with a can of soda, he just put the empty can, left it wherever it was. And I told him, you know, would, would you please throw your trash away? Nobody wants to do it for you. And he wouldn't do it. Some people are put into your life just to give you practice, right? Little things. But forgive as you want to be forgiven. Lead us not into temptation. Flee temptation, but please don't leave a forwarding address. Okay? Deliver us from evil. You, you, I'm certain of this. You, you wake up every morning and don't you feel overwhelmed by the decay of society and you wonder what's going on in people's minds and have people lost their minds? And the answer is probably yes. And don't you feel like in trying to do good, I don't know about you, but I feel like this, it's like you're trying to fight a forest fire with a squirt gun. It's overwhelming. When you end the Our Father, you're saying, Lord, you are the one who stands guard over evil. And I entrust you, not me. There's great peace in that. There really is. Deliver us from evil. Your Father in heaven will stand guard and stand guard over your heart. Have you ever prayed in Our Father? Be careful. It just might change your whole life. Some people say, you know, um, prayer doesn't work. And when they say that, they're, they're forgetting that God isn't, you know, our Santa Claus who aren't in heaven. It's a relationship in which your heavenly Father wants to lift you up out of the ashes and make you worthy to enter into something that's really beyond eyes not seen, ears not heard, it's not dawned on your mind what he's prepared for you. But you've got to be transformed. You're not ready for it right now. And if you are ready for it right now, please stand up. You'll find the exit signs clearly marked. Go into the church and pray for the rest of us, okay? Because we need help. 
Prayer doesn't work. Prayer is not a puzzle to be solved. It's a relationship to be lived. Okay? When you pray well, you let God transform you. That's what it means to pray well. So please keep that in mind. That's what you need to pray well. People will say, you know, I don't know what to do in prayer. This is another really big one. What do I do? What do I do? Well, can I give you a general, general idea? The, the most important thing to do is make prayer a habit. A daily habit in which you take time every day and you dedicate it to prayer. Because your life changes when your habits change. And this is, this is the honest truth. Are you any different this year than you were last year? People think their lives change when their circumstances change. Your life changes when your habits change. People often think, you know, if I can just get a different job, if I can just get a shorter commute, if I can just get a raise, well, then things will be better. But your life changes not when your circumstances change, but when your habits change. Habits form character. And character forms identity. This is true for individuals. This is true for families. Family life changes when habits change. What are your family's habits? The family is the foundation of society. Okay? The family is being attacked and we need to fight back. But how we do it is by our own holiness. The best, way, the best thing you can possibly do is to transform your family with your own transformation. Okay? So what do we need to do in prayer? What do we need to do in prayer? Well, the first thing you need to do is you simply need to begin. Set aside time and just be yourself. Nothing complex, nothing contrived, nothing artificial. God already knows your heart. You know, sometimes, you, you, sometimes people are afraid of praying because it's almost like they're afraid of bringing into God's presence things that they wouldn't want to tell to their dearest friend on earth. But God already knows it. Sometimes people, they go to pray and they say, well, I'm nothing but distractions. Pray about your distractions. If they're that much on your mind... Don't you think that God wants to know what's already in your heart? Right? Nothing contrived, nothing artificial, nothing complex. Okay? That's how you approach prayer. More than anything else, you're just you. In fact, you know, the word holy means different. And part of the reason why churches are designed why they're designed, the way they're designed, like with stained glass, uh, with, with artwork and ornamentation, this is that when you enter into a church, in a sense, it's like you've left the world behind and it's just you and God in a sacred space. That's what you want to do. Forget about what people think. Forget about what you should be doing. Forget about what, what, how you think prayer should go and just be yourself. Now, when you pray, understand it's a relationship. And in any relationship, there's basically two ways of communicating, aren't there? There's words and then there's nonverbal communication. Okay? And in prayer, it's just the same way. There's two basic kinds of prayer. There's vocal prayer and there's meditative or mental prayer. Okay. Vocal prayer is anything that involves words. Right? Uh, the rosary is vocal prayer. The mass is vocal prayer. Devotions are vocal prayer. Liturgy of the hours is, is vocal prayer. The Our Father is vocal prayer. Anything that involves words is vocal prayer. Anything that doesn't involve words is mental prayer or meditative prayer. Okay? Um, and you'll never get over the need for vocal prayer. But vocal prayer isn't the highest form of prayer. Meditative prayer is. For example, when you have a relationship with someone you love, is the most sublime communication you have with them with words or without words? It's without words, isn't it? It's that glance that you, know, you both know what the other's thinking kind of thing. And, it, and it's deep. Okay, It's the same with God. Your deepest communication is going to be meditative or mental prayer. And that's what you want to give priority to. And now I'm talking about your own private prayer time. In fact, I can take it a step further. You lucky lay people, you don't have to follow the priest word for word at Mass. The priest has to keep on going. right? And he has to make sure the parking lot doesn't get backed up because you know, the next Mass is coming. right? But you can, you can ponder over all the words all you want. You can stop on the word our in the Our Father and, and you can keep praying over that until you get to the sign of peace if you want to. It's up to you. Whenever you're able to give priority to mental prayer, please do so. Okay? Because it is higher. Let me tell you about how to do meditative prayer. It's pondering the word of God or pondering the writings of a saint and then thinking about how it applies to us. I've already kind of done this as an exercise with you already with the Our Father. 
Um, but what you want to do, practically speaking, is you want to find a place. You want to open up with a little vocal prayer. Sometimes it helps to start with an Our Father or a Hail Mary. Just kind of set your, set your mind in the right place. Sit down and read a passage of Scripture. Okay? Find a favorite. There's plenty that I could suggest. And you simply apply it to your life until you get distracted. Then you continue. Here's an example. One of my favorites, Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His, prayer, his praise ever on my lips. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Look to Him and be radiant that your face may not blush with shame. When the poor man called, the Lord heard him and rescued him from all his distress. Now think about this for a moment. I love that because I find it something I can always go back to and pray about deeply with the Lord. First of all, I will bless the Lord at all times. I don't know about you, but I don't. (laughs) And I constantly need to get back to that. Constantly need to return to the need to praise and bless the Lord who in His providence knows better and sees better than I do. His praise ever on my lips. There's many a lunch hour I can say that was not the case talking around the table, right? His praise was not on my lips. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. If I'm still stuck in my fears, who is it that I've failed to seek? I have not yet turned to the Lord. Look to Him and be radiant. You want to be radiant with joy and hope and confidence and peace. And if you're not, you're not looking to the Lord enough. Maybe you're looking too much to the news. And a lot of people are. Or to the sports or to the stocks or to wherever it might be. Look to the Lord and be radiant. The poor man called and the Lord heard him and rescued him from all of his distress. You can pray about that, okay? And that's a way that you go through meditative prayer. Now, when you're praying, something else might happen. And this is the highest kind of prayer of all. And this is what I would like to really recommend to you above all else. It's called contemplative prayer. You might think of contemplative prayer as being something just monks and nuns do. But it isn't. Let me try to describe to you what contemplative prayer is. When you're praying meditatively, or it could even happen when you're praying vocally, something, an awareness comes about uh, upon you. There's no images, there's no concepts, there's no pictures, and yet you know that God is present, and you know that you are known and loved. That's the best description of contemplative prayer that I can give you. When that happens, you want to maximize it. You want it to last as long as you can possibly let it last. Don't go back to the words. Okay? St. Teresa of Avila, she tells a story of a nun who wanted to enter into her convent and the nun comes to apply and she says, my trouble is I only know one prayer. What prayer do you know, Teresa says? The Our Father. Oh, how long does it take you to say the Our Father? And she says, well, it takes me about an hour. And Teresa says, well, come right in. Right? <laughs> if you can't get past the word hour or father or whatever, great. Especially if it leads to that contemplative prayer. Every other kind of prayer that you, that you do... Um, um, St. John of the Cross, he describes it as modo humano, by human effort. This contemplative prayer is at a totally higher stage. It's modo divino. It's divine effort. God is actually lifting you up at that moment to something beyond your own mere ability. Because you can pick up the Bible and you can read and you can think and you can read and you can think on your own, but you can't make yourself pray contemplatively. Like I'm trying to describe, it kind of comes to you. When it comes, it's a gift. Teresa of Avila describes it as water. Think about your soul as being like field, okay? And God's grace as being like water. And you want things to grow, right? You want things to grow. So what do you do? Well, you get water and you throw it on the field. You drop your bucket down into the well, you crank it back up, you go to the field, you throw it onto the field, and you go back to the well and you drop the bucket down to the bottom again. And you can water a field like that. But there's an easier way. You could find a stream and you could irrigate a ditch you could let the water from the stream flow right through your field and, and irrigate it. And, 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 and it's much, much more effective than doing it yourself. But there's an even higher way. But you can't do it yourself. That's when you let the rain fall. And Teresa describes contemplative prayer as like God's equivalent of sending you rain on your field. That's what we want to do. That's how you want to pray. Whether it's at Mass, whether it's during the Rosary... Uh, wherever it might be, whether it's during your meditative prayer, whatever it might be, when you come upon the time in which you're aware of God's presence, no images, no concepts, no pictures, and you know that the Lord is present, just please put the book down and rest in it as long as you can. 
That's contemplative prayer. Okay? It's infused. You can't make it happen, but you can dispose yourself to receive it. It transforms you. Sins lose their stranglehold. Intimacy with other persons grows. Husbands and wives start listening and stop bickering. They begin to abandon the idea that I must have my own way. Trifles become seen as trifles. Big things become seen as big. Complaining and bitterness end. Even embracing of the cross with joy begins. Forgiveness becomes possible, even joyful. Try it and see. You want to know the real sign that you're growing in holiness? It's that you're growing in charity. It's that you're growing in freedom. So I knew a, a, another employee of the diocese whose name I won't, whose name I won't, me- recog- whose name I won't mention. And he went to see his spiritual director and he said he was going to try to impress his spiritual director with what he does. So I pray the rosary three times a day and I do holy hour and I go to mass six, five, six days a week plus Sunday and I say the litany of humility and I say... <laughs> You proud of me? You proud of me? And the spiritual director's like, that's all fine and well, but here's the real question. How are you treating people? That's the real question. The proof of your growth in holiness is always charity. That's the litmus test. What I want to try to tell you is God does the transforming more than anything else in contemplative prayer. So when you get it, please stop and receive it. Right? Please let yourself receive it. Right? It doesn't depend on your life circumstances. It depends on your response to God. Now, here's another huge concept in prayer. There's a relationship between the way you pray and the way you live. One enriches the other. Living the gospel deeply and virtuously causes virtues to grow in your life. Things like forgiveness and you know, all, all the things that our Lord asks of us to do. And when that happens, your growth in virtue causes your prayer to deepen. Right? Any real prayer is always the conversion of the heart from the ego to God. Anything else is a sham. Saying to God, one thing with your words and another thing with your deeds, what happens to your relationship? Think about it. What would happen if the husband, and this is a true story, the, the husband said to the wife, you know, I love you, I love you, I love you, but he wouldn't put his shoes in the closet like she asked. But the relationship just doesn't move forward until he actually acts on something that he knows the one he loves wants. So it's the same in prayer. The deeper you want to convert to the Lord, the deeper you want to convert your moral life and your spiritual and, 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 and your, um, your life of living the commandments. And that means that you've got to get to confession. Right? And that means that you've got to partake of the sacraments because you can't do it on your own. But the Lord can see that you love Him more and then He gives Himself more to you. What did Jesus say? If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. When we keep our commandments, we telegraph to the Lord, I want to get closer to you. I might not always keep these commandments perfectly, but you can tell where my heart is. What was it like back when you were in grade school and you had a crush on somebody sitting across the room? You wanted to get their attention, right? You wanted to find some way to get them to pay more attention to you. And if you saw that they were a little bit interested, what did you do? You gave them even more attention because they were more open. And then if you saw that they were interested, you gave them even more attention and then maybe a relationship could get started. This is the way it is with the Lord too. If you make of yourself a capacity, he said to St. Teresa, I'll make of myself a torrent. You, give your, you open, a, open up an opening for me that wide, I'll rush through it. Okay. So this is what we want to do. It's how, it's, it's how we live that determines how deeply we pray. So we want to pray every single day. Okay? How long every single day? Well, it does depend on your life circumstances. But let me tell you this. It's better to do too little and be faithful to it than to do too much and be sporadic. Find what you can do every single day and be faithful to it. Sometimes I'll say, how much can you promise somebody to come to me for spiritual direction, for example? And I'll say, how much can you promise me you'll pray every single day? Ten minutes? Mm, maybe not ten minutes. Okay, well then start with five. But don't make it four. Right? Be faithful to it. And do it every single day. That's essential to any relationship and it's essential to your prayer relationship. It must be daily and it must become a solid habit. And it must be something that's valuable to you. I mean, if, 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 I, if there was a $1,000 in $100 bills waiting for you at the base of the altar of St. Jude Church each morning on condition that you would come and pray for 10 minutes, how many mornings do you think you'd miss in the next 90 days? Probably not too many. Um, what is the Lord worth to you? I mean, it does sometimes you have to petition the Lord, help me to know how, how great and val- beautiful and valuable you are. Another huge de- issue in prayer is distractions. 
people will think, I got distracted, therefore I'm not praying well. And that's not true. As long as you don't will your distractions, would you believe your distractions are not that big of a problem? Why? Because what is prayer? It's raising your mind and your heart to God. If your will remains fixed, there's really not all that much lost if your mind starts to wander. It's when your will starts to wander that God knows because you don't really want to be here, do you? That's a problem. Okay? That much is a problem. But the most important thing is determination. Here's Teresa of Avila. Most important above all indeed is that they should begin well by making an earnest and most determined resolve not to halt, that is in prayer, until they've reached their goal. Whatever may come, whatever may happen to them, however hard they may have to labor, whoever may complain of them, whether they reach their goal or die on the road or have no heart to confront the trials with which they meet, even if the very world should dissolve before them. Right? Don't quit. Right? A couple of things that can help you, having religious images in your home, having holy water in your home, simplifying your life. Prayer thrives in simplicity. You can, it's interesting, you can never get enough of what you don't really need. Right? You can never get enough of what you don't really need. Simplify your life and prayer grows exponentially. Mass, I hope I don't need to say this, be faithful to it every Sunday. Get to confession regularly. All right? Sometimes invite others to come along with you. Um, prayer before meals, these are some little basic habits that you can, that you can get into. Um, but the most important thing here is to understand you've got the power to let God change your life. Okay? We tell ourselves God doesn't give us the grace, but he does. His grace is abundant. Resolutions become habits, habits become character, and your character is the greatest blessing that you can give to someone else. The first thing is to make the first thing the first thing, but you can't give what you don't have. Pray well and you'll pray better. Pray better and you'll pray more. Pray more and you'll pray always. Pray always and you might just make it to heaven. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Okay, great. So now, there's 45 dutiful minutes, right? And I've got a little bit of time if you want to ask me questions. If you have questions about anything that could be more clarified or more illustrated. Yes. Sometimes we're struggling with two things that seem like they're consistent with the commandments, A and B. And, uh, could you talk a little bit about um, discernment? And- oh gosh, discernment is a discernment is a, is, a, is a large subject. Okay. Um, and there's much that I could say about discernment, and I'm trying to find a way to say it succinctly. Um, Here, I'll give you, here's the most succinct way I can say it. The most succinct, and I, don't want, I hope this could be misunderstood, but that's always the risk when you try to say things briefly. St. Ignatius of Loyola is probably the master of discernment. And this is what he said in his advice to his brothers in the early days of the Jesuit order. He said, go into the chapel, sit down for two hours, and pray to God for the grace to be detached from every personal preference to want only his will. And at the end of that time, do what you desire because the Lord will move your heart through your desires. Now, heavy emphasis on the first half of that, right? Being detached from what you, being detached to make sure that you really want God's will. Um, um, But one of the keys is after you've already determined that you're free to take either one, uh, the Lord works through desires. Um, And God will often draw more fruit out of something that you know your heart is into than anything else. There's a short answer to you. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. So maybe some guidance on how do I pray for all of it? Well, no, not so much how do I pray. How do I know what of all should I be, should I pray? Well, getting that discernment for like I, narrowing down what God are you focusing? Yes, on? focusing. Um, okay, I don't. 
believe, and unless I'm misunderstanding, I don't believe you actually need to focus your intentions. Because when you go to pray, it's you and your soul and your mind and your heart that's in God's presence. And everything that is on your mind and your heart is right there in the presence of the Lord. I don't see how there's any need to try to eliminate any of it. Um, Just perhaps, if this is any clarification at all, people will come to the priest all the time and they'll say, Father, you know, my aunt's in the hospital. You pray for my, my cousin, my niece, my child, whoever it might be. And you say to yourself at that moment, yes, I will. That's what you say to yourself at that moment. Knowing full well that in a couple of days you might have forgotten that you were asked. But this is what's called a virtual intention. Your will is already fixed. When I, when, I, when I do weddings for people, I tell them about a virtual intention. I've never been married myself, you'll be happy to know. Um, but I've been told that at the moment of your wedding, um, your vows, all kinds of things could be going through your mind. All kinds of things. Maybe it's the music, maybe it's the flowers, maybe it's the reception, maybe it's whatever. And they, some people tell me when it's all over, it was like a blur. Did that happen? Did that actually happen? I always tell people um, when they sit down in my office and prep for a wedding, I always say, Let's go through these vows one word at a time. And let's really go through what they mean. And let's make what we call a virtual intention such that no matter how distracted you could have the flu on the day of your wedding, but you mean this, which we're going to talk about right now. And it's all included. Why is it all included? Not because your mind is actively working and paging through it all, but that it's your entire soul that's being expressed in an act of the will. Similarly with prayer. You could read about the Mexico earthquake and you could be like, oh, God, come and help them. Or you could read about Puerto Rico and you could think, God, come and help them. And, and what about the poor people that just got hit in, 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 in Florida or the people in Texas, geez, who they're forgotten now because there's been three more. Or it could be any of these things. These are things that are on my mind sometimes. And when you go to pray, are you not praying for them all? I don't know. I, I, best response I can give to you is I don't see a reason why you have to limit it. As you go through your, your life, these intentions become part of who you are. And when you go to pray, it's not so much you praying by consciously calling into mind, but simply by being and by willing, which is a constant state of act, which is a habitual state of being. Does that make sense? Okay, perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Mental prayer, can that have words too, but inside your that's, that's That's correct. Um, mental prayer, vocal prayer involves the, the enunciating of words. Mental prayer does not necessarily involve the enunciating of words. You could say in our Father in your mind and really think about it, and that's mental prayer. Um, but the point I wanted to make, sometimes when I'll talk about the primacy of mental prayer, or the primacy of contemplative as the highest kind of mental prayer, people will think that I'm dismissing the many things which we must do that are vocal prayer, like the Mass. And that's why I don't want it. That was the point I really wanted to make. Because no matter how deep and intimate a person's relationship might be with another person, they'll still need to say things like, would you please pass the salt? Right? Um, would, you, would you please turn up the AC? Whatever it might be. There's always words needed. However, when that relationship is deeper, even the nature of every word becomes you could say, would you please pass the salt? And, uh, you know, with the relationships deep enough, you know you're loved, right? And so too with your prayers of the Eucharist, with your prayers of the Rosary, with your prayers of the Our Father. Um, so vocal prayer is always part of your life. Mental prayer can use words that you're not enunciating, and it's still mental prayer. Yes. Contemplative, Contemplative has no words, no images, no concepts. Contemplative... Contemplative prayer, I'm certain that that most of you have already experienced it. Because all God wants to know is that is that is that you're is that you you love him and that you're you know leading somewhat of a virtuous life. You're not trying to contradict by your deeds what you're proclaiming in your words. And the Lord loves you more than you love him. And I'm certain that everyone has at some point felt that embrace of the loving presence of God. And if I could say you what idea was in your mind at the time, you would rightly answer, I don't know. What word was on your heart? Uh, there weren't any. How long did it last? I'm not sure. Might have been 30 seconds, might have been 10. I lost track of time. That's contemplative prayer. What I wanted to suggest is when that happens, please step back and try to let it happen. And that's all. But yes. Okay, go ahead. So, um, I guess the, 
thing I, I don't quite understand is, so I understand what we're talking about today, mm -hmm. and how prayer is supposed to transform us and make us more like God. Yes. Right? But a lot of times when people think of praying, they're praying for somebody or something. Yes, yes. And when we do that, what exactly are we praying for? In other words, like, if somebody, um, you know, uh, got into an accident, right. right, they're in a bad situation. Right. So if I say, well, you know, Lord, people say, well, pray for them, right? Right. Or you're trying and, to pray for somebody to prevent something bad from happening. Right, right. Are we actually changing God's will? No, you're not. Okay, that's a good question. Are you changing God's will? Or why bother praying for somebody? Okay, the reason, let, let's, let's stop back and let's, let's step back and, and realize um, God of his own free will has chosen to allow his creatures to cooperate in all of his works. Um, so we say that you were rightly created by God. But there was a mom and dad involved. Um, you can say that uh, God himself taught you about his love, about his grace. But you know, at some point along the line, there was a parent involved or a teacher involved or a priest involved. And nevertheless, God was the one at work. Okay, similarly, there are many good things that God would want to do uh, in which he asks for the free cooperation of his creatures. When you pray for someone... You could say you are uniting to the Lord and making of yourself a conduit of grace that never would have been offered had you not done that cooperation. One of the most shocking examples of this when you talk about the Annunciation to the Blessed Mother. I mean, theologians will speculate about this, but you know, when the Blessed Mother was asked by the angel, will you be the mother of God? She could have said no. I don't know what would have happened if she would said no, but she was free. But when she said yes... She actively cooperated with God's plan and a blessing came onto the world that, that well, I, you know, if, if she'd said no, I don't think God would have made, tried for a best two out of three. <laughs> tried for another immaculate conception and tried his luck again. So the point is, your cooperation in prayer draws down graces and blessings just by your cooperation in prayer. You become something of a conduit of our Lord's grace. and So, um, again, it's, it's kind of the point I said when I began talking about prayer, I said, be yourself. Don't be contrived. Be honest. When you hear about a, a friend who's in a car accident or, or someone who's hurt, you instinctively want to pray for them. And I think, that's, I think that's part of God's divine will. But what's actually happening is that your cooperation is making incarnate in, in you and in another person grace um, which was given as a direct consequence of your cooperation. I hope that sort of helps. I, I think you, know, you can pray for people and, and, and you don't always get what you pray for. Um, and there's been a lot of reasons for that. Let's talk about a simple, let's talk about a simple example. Um, maybe there's someone who's leading a bad life and you want to pray for their conversion. And you do pray for their conversion. And as far as you can tell, they never changed their mind and heart. However, you know what your prayers did? It gave them one heck of an unfair advantage. You know how, you have, you know how Fulton Sheen once said, examine your mind and you will find this to be the case. You have more temptations to be good than you have to be bad. You have more inclinations to do the right thing. You could say that the consequence of your prayers for that other person are inspirations of grace, chances to act on the good uh, that came into their mind or came into their heart, as a, and we'd say as a consequence of their prayer, but they're still free. But I think the shortest answer I can give to your question is you become a conduit of grace and make real something that's happening, God's grace in this world, because you said yes. And, and, so, and so again, be yourself because if God's placing it on your mind and heart, I think he's knocking at the door of your heart and asking, asking you to be his cooperator. That's how I see it, at least. Yes? Um, so all the way from like, into the devout life, St. Francis talks to us as lay people and a lot of people in between and then up to Father Dubay and seeking spiritual direction in that book. We hear about the, it's absolutely essential to have a spiritual director. I mean, from a practical standpoint, yeah, that's that. It's absolutely essential to have a good spirit tractor. Um, may I opine that that is an opinion? Okay. okay? Uh, you will find a lot of different traditions that don't necessarily emphasize the need for one-on-one -on -one spiritual direction. Yeah, I had. Well, I had a priest tell me that Francis Yeah. Now, th there's there are ways in which you can get spiritual direction from an extended confession. Um, there's a priest who comes to St. Jude 
don't all come at once, but he comes to St. Jude about once a month and he hears confessions about 15 or 20 minutes per person. And that can end up being enough. Um, um, you can get spiritual direction in a sense from decent spiritual friendship. It is quite impossible if everyone wanted a spiritual director. It, it just, it's, not, it's not a reality. It's not possible. Um, there, are, there are some who will absolutely insist that you have to have a spiritual director. Um, I, I tend to agree, personally. That's my own little personal point of view. I found that when I don't have spiritual direction, I kind of languish. When I do have spiritual direction, I take right off and I start going somewhere again. Um, but there are other traditions in the church that, would, that, that wouldn't agree with that. So I, I would say that one's, I would say that the point is debatable. Thank goodness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And you, you bring yourself, you ask, you bring, and you listen expectantly. Yes. But then, like, am I talking to myself? Is it, how is that this Well, this is, here's where you want to have something outside of yourself to begin with, such as the scriptures or the writings of a saint. You want to make sure that if you bring, a, if you bring something like a text to prayer, that you are bringing something that is definitely reflecting the, the word of God. Like, just because it might be sub- subjectively inspirational to you uh, doesn't mean that it's necessarily in line with the science of the saints that's come down through the centuries. I say play it safe. Find your favorite passages in the scriptures. You could, you could, you could, you could milk the Psalms for the rest of your life and never exhaust them. Or Romans chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians 13. Another one of my favorites. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love doesn't put on errors. Love hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. Here's a meditation for you. If in heaven everyone becomes perfect love, you should be able to read 1 Corinthians 13 and insert your own name in everywhere it says love. And it should make sense. Now, how does God talk to you? He talks to you uh, with peace and with challenge. There are certain things that you are disturbed about that are entirely worldly. Um, and our Lord wants to set you free from that. You can tell the voice of God in, in the voice of peace. Morally speaking, he often, often, always challenges you to become more than you are. Um, he, and, and when you read 1 Corinthians 13 or when you read Romans 12 or when you go through the scriptures, you'll always find something that convicts you. And convict as, as though convicts you of guilt. You know what? You're not praising the Lord at all times and His praise is not on your lips. How about you stop and, and then your mind will instantly think, well, yeah, you're right. Um, and then you just you, you think about the times when, when, when it's the case and you'll think, well, gosh, you know, my, my, my real problem is, is, uh, is, is, is lunch. My real problem is I sit down at lunch and there's seven other people there and we always end up gossiping. Oh, I know the Lord doesn't want me to do that. Um, Maybe I'll try a different strategy tomorrow. Maybe I'll read something that we can bring up as a subject whenever I'm tempted to gossip. But morally speaking, you're always being challenged by what you read in the scriptures. Uh, At at another level, the Lord is soothing away... um, And I I can't help but go off on tangents. You know in the Mass we say Kyrie eleison? You know what's interesting about the word Kyrie eleison? Not only it's Greek and it's the Lord have mercy, but it means so much more. It comes from... um, it comes from the Greek word eleos, which is the word for oil. So you're not only saying, Lord, have mercy. You're saying, Lord, soothe me as though my, with, with oil would soothe a wound. Lord, forgive, have mercy, heal, and restore. There's so many bribes and, 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 and barbs and gashes we have that have come from seeking sins, that have come from adopting the world's values, things that your Heavenly Father never intended, and those get healed in prayer. So I would say you'd approach it with those two things in mind. Um, number one, as far as healing is concerned, there's much healing that the Lord wants to bring to you in your prayer. And as morally speaking, he's never going to stop challenging you to go higher. But the way you keep it from talking to yourself is um, if you... Uh, well, you get better at it the more you do it. Um, but if you, if you have any doubts, go back to the text until something challenges you or soothes. Those are kind of the two things that happen. Yeah. We're at 11 o'clock. How are we doing on time? Do you have time for another one or not? Okay, who's going to be the last lucky questioner? Okay. Um, well, I know that individual prayer is extremely important, um, but in light of the relationship with our spouses, um, how should we prioritize prayer together? Like, 
Yes, um, and this and this is definitely true. Prayer uh, is always something you'll never be able to escape the reality that you are a soul made in relationship to God. It's why we go to confession alone. It's the last judgment will be when we stand in there. Uh, however, He's placed you in this relationship for a reason, um, and that relationship is primary to your path to heaven. This is something that I really didn't get into, but but could have gotten into. Um, and, and that is how to find, you should find some way every day in which your primary companion in life, your spouse, is your companion in prayer. It could be as simple as holding hands and saying a morning offering, or holding hands and saying an Our Father, or of course, hopefully, hopefully it's grace before meals. A great thing, and I find this very, very frequently, uh, is that couples will go to confession sequentially. Um, um, and, and it's, it's a great thing. They've, all, they've both gotten up and they've gone together. And of course, going to Mass together. Um, Scheduling-wise, I think the priority has to be keeping a schedule that you can keep with prayer. Uh, in as much as it can... This is a short answer to what could be a longer discussion. In as much as you can both have your prayer time at the same time, uh, it's a great thing to do so. The nature of your prayer, though, as far as your mental prayer as your meditative prayer, contemplative prayer. Uh, again, that gets back to this even more basic relationship in which your first spouse is your, is, is your heavenly spouse. And that one is one that you, you... I mean, you can't bring somebody else into your contemplative prayer. It's just, that's you and God. And you can't bring somebody else into your mental prayer, but you can do it together. And you can have times in which you can have vocal prayer together. Um, and the degree to which that you do that, the more you can do that, uh, is only going to bring blessings down upon your relationship. But uh, so that's kind of a shorty, a shorty poo answer for you. But I hope it gives a little bit of direction. All right, good enough for one day. All right.